And that is the bias the leader has because you start at one level and you just see yourself as I'm just me and we're having a conversation and you forget the power of your title. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. This is Denise Cooper, and you are listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Today is that other conversation with my good friend, Pamela Brooks. And here's the question for today. We're coming up on performance reviews. We're looking at our country and how decisions are made. Have you ever wondered why you'd make one decision, somebody else would make a different decision? Or bring it down to performance reviews. How one manager can see one thing and grades lighter, and another manager sees it and just can't get it and grades harder. You know, have you ever thought about why you choose one thing and maybe your friend or your significant other chooses another and you get into this argument over it. Why does that happen? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Good morning, Pam. How you doing? I'm doing well, Denise. I got up early. I've been running. I am I'm jazzed for today. This is one of my sweet topics. Talking oh. about judgment and the lack thereof at times. <laughs> And we're going to talk a lot about bias, but not so much just narrowly thinking about bias from a race or the Title VII kinds of things, race, gender, gender identity, et cetera, point of view. And already you're a morning person and I'm an evening person. So <laughs> Exactly. So don't make decisions in the morning. Bad time. <laughs> Absolutely. I realize that my best decision making is somewhere between 3 and 11 and p.m. (laughs) This is a time where, you know, the whole country is just, you know, one side or the other. And we seem to be like in camps about our decision making. And it's and, and I see that it's affecting relationships. You know, neighbors are fighting neighbors, you know, Democrat, Republican pro-life, pro-choice. I mean, you just name it. And it seems like the media just exacerbates that whole process. And you and I have been for years, that's how we we met is over understanding judgment, yep. how we make it, how we how judgment leads to our decision, to our behaviors, to the view of the world. So let's start there, because I don't think a lot of people understand judgment. I don't think they understand how we come up with decisions. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, the whole thing about it, because this is your jam. It it is. We got to start out by defining what we're talking about with judgment first, because obviously, if we even ask people what judgment is, we're going to get 100 different responses. So let's Mm -hmm. let's frame it in a little bit so that people understand the core of what we're looking at. A human thing. So judgment is human. It's not an AI giving us stats and saying, here, this is the stats and here's how you should make it. It is a person synthesizing information to reach a conclusion, which means 
that our human brain is involved in this process. So let, let's just think about the number of things that can affect the human brain. So when you talk about the polarization happening, that is a little bit of the emotional push and pull thrown at us. And when we decide in our head that we're in one camp, we can put on selective listening and we will hear the things that support us and everything else is against us yeah. and we're not open-minded to it, right? When Daniel Kenman wrote Noise, and this came out right at the beginning of COVID, he was trying to get at the discrepancies and bias in just our everyday decision-making. So not just, oh God, my husband wants to go to that restaurant because he likes it. And I want to go to this restaurant, which is opinion and taste. So I like this and he likes that. That can create discrepancies. But when we're trying to nail down judgment, this comes down to like you were talking about performance reviews. It comes down to, oh my God, we have three candidates. Who do we select? Or you look at the judicial system and go, why does one judge always seem to be really harsh and another judge is really soft? And so a part of what he was looking at, he will call bias and noise. And so here's the part that's that's important to understand in our judgment, okay? Breaking it down. If I'm shooting at something, let's say a target, and I want to know that a gun is accurate, mm-hmm. when I shoot it and I'm a good marksman, I'm going to hit the center of the target every time, Right. Right. So this is like really good judgment. A person who can take the information and go, I'm making the decision. And when I make that decision, it's usually right. Like what I've decided is going to lead to the right outcome. Okay. Bias enters in when there is something maybe in my viewfinder. Yeah. (laughs) When I go to shoot Mm -hmm. or something in the gun when I go to shoot and I'm consistently missing the mark. So I'm I'm like two clicks to the left or two clicks to the right. So if we look at a judge that has that kind of bias or performance review by a manager, you could look at that manager's performance review and go, God, all of their reviews of their employees tend to be really nice and easy. Like they rate them all the same. They're all an eight on a 10 scale, right? You can go to another manager who has people and you look at their ratings And they're rating everybody at a six or lower. Right. And yet, if you looked at the real performance of both groups or teams, you might go, they both seem to be producing at the same rate. Yeah. And when you say performance, it's really outcomes. So we're looking at outcomes or results and the results are the same. The results are the same. But when you look at the reviews of these people producing the same result, one manager is going bad and the other one's good. Right. Mm -hmm. So. How do we become aware of that? You know, and you think about staffing. I mean, the statistics show that we can go through all the interviews in the world. We can have trained people with behavioral interviewing skills. And yet we're really only predicting success somewhere between 56 and 60% of the time. Right. You might as well toss a coin. Why is that? And that's because we as people have bias, potentially, Um, One of the things that Kenneman points out in his staffing is that if we even read the resume, we have several points of bias that have potentially entered in. Mm -hmm. I may look at it and go, 
that person went to University of Washington. That's mm-hmm. my alma mater. All right, mm-hmm. cool. I have now connected with that person and I know nothing about them. I know nothing about their performance, but I'm now going to have that connection. There was huge research that was done looking at names. So if I look at the name and I go, God, I can't pronounce that, or I think that name is Asian or that name is whatever. And I have a, not like cognitively, I say I'm biased, but man, I can't read the name. So I'm I'm, I'm already going to have an edge against that person. Right, right. And so to even get into the interview process, resumes create a bias based on the person trying to read or what it is they're looking at. And so that's why today a lot of groups are trying to get away from yeah, let me see your resume. And instead are asking, give me an example of being able to do X, Y, Z, or they're giving a specific test to prove you've got Excel capabilities or you've got word capabilities where we can actually say, yes, you have that or no, you don't. Mm -hmm. So again, hitting the target is what we're looking at. And when we make decisions, we're trying to do that. So when you talk about two people having a difference, if both individuals have a bias in their thinking, they're going to clash. So let me give you an example of my husband and I. I am very people-oriented. So when I go to make decisions, I'm thinking about people. And I'm thinking about how things are going to affect the people, what's going to center around. And I'm kind of looking at that. When my husband goes to make a decision, he's a little bit more systemic than I am. And so he has to create a list and a checkpoint and a balance, right? So we're going to buy a car. I'm looking at it going, hmm. I kind of like the feel of it. I like the look of it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> He's mm-hmm. going, mm, performance. I'm looking at cost. I'm looking at gas. I'm lo- And so when we have a bias in our thinking, we have a tendency to narrow in without consciously thinking about it to the information that supports our decision-making process. Okay, so let's stop here. Okay. Okay, so you and I know that there's, you know, basically kind of three broad places where bias shows up. So when you say your husband's more systemic, it's really around rules, systems, lists, kinds of things. There's the people bias, which you said that you were, but you know, then there's this other bias processing process and talk a little bit about that. Okay. So process is like the throughput of an organization. It's our compare and contrast of God, like, here's the problem. And I may come up with three different solutions to that problem. And somebody else may look at it and go, oh, this is the quick fix, done. And not even consider the other possibilities. And so also there's that ability to kind of, in in that pragmatic, practical sense, to go, what are the factors we are considering? And I may look at it and go, I'm really good. I can see, oh my God, there's like four or five factors that are going to affect this decision. And I'm going to bring all of them in and I'm going to put some weight to them where somebody else may go in and only see three of the items and skip two. Or when we go to weight them based on their experience, they might go, well, this is the only one that's important. And Mm -hmm. so from a practical standpoint, how we go to mesh those things could be different. And and there's there's two sides to it, right? It's how I think about it, but then there's how I interact in the rest of the world to right. see what success looks like. So I may I may join a company, I may join a group and my thinking of something or the way I think about what the right answer is and how to move forward in it might be one thing, but I will be influenced by the organization, which is what used to be called groupthink, right? 
Correct. So even in those types of situations, so I want to separate noise and bias and, and, and part of the group thing. You have a company and they're getting ready to make a major decision. I could even talk about, I, I had to be a part of a group to decide what learning platform we're going to have, right? And on the campus, there was a group of people who had been developing a learning platform for instructors. And it was really cool what they did. They actually were able to train and get them to develop grants at a much higher rate. And it was awesome. But what the platform needed to do to teach staff was very different. That group, holding tight, this is a good baby, I like this, they started telling people around the committee that this should stay in-house, this should be with the university, we we need to do this within the university. And so when we would go to a meeting, it wasn't being objective and saying what's there. There was a group of people in that meeting who had been swayed by the person who was running this platform to go, oh, well, we need to keep it in-house because they had seen the majority of people go, yeah, well, let's do it like this. <laughs> and I'm looking at it going, no, 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 no. Our charge, our criteria given to us was we are to search outside the university because we were told we are not going to maintain this system. So what about that do we not understand? Like I had to bring back what are the criteria in that problem-solving thing to get people to realize that even though they thought it was great and move in that direction. And so people can be swayed by opinion. They can be swayed, like Brene gives the example in the room. If she goes as a leader and says, God, I'm thinking about this right now. You guys tell me your say. Well, everybody's just heard Brene say what's important as the leader. Who's going to speak out against her? And so we can be swayed by those types of things, which moves us off target, right? We're swayed wherever the leader says, we move off target to follow the leader's direction. Would I have made that decision on my own? Maybe not if I had been asked independently. The leader of LinkedIn did the same thing. He sat in a meeting. He had a bunch of people in the meeting that he knew. And he was just thinking, yeah, I'm one of the, one of the group. They're looking at a website. And he throws out a suggestion, an idea. Hey, did you guys ever think about a green scheme for this? Two weeks later, he's like, why isn't the website done? I thought it was almost done. And somebody goes, well, you said you wanted it green. So we've been for two weeks changing everything to green. And he's like, I didn't. And then he goes, oh, God, <laughs> I suggested. And that is the bias the leader has, because you start at one level and you just see yourself as I'm just me and we're having a conversation and you forget the power of your title. I talk to leaders all the time about, I, I know you're just a human being and I know you see yourself as, hey, I'm one of the, and I'm thinking through this, but every suggestion you pull out every or toss out is a direction that someone in the room is going to pick up on. And so your communication has to be really, really clear of at the end of every meeting, this is what we decided. You have to make that a habit because otherwise people will walk away they will take the chunk out of what you said, and then you will see work moving to the left or to the right. And that may have been an unintended consequence of just a brainstorming meeting or somebody tossed out an idea and you gave an opinion before everyone else did. And they said, oh, well, Denise might want this. And people are trying to do what you want because you hold the keys to the kingdom from compensation do I get performance? Do I get the better projects? Whether you know it or not, whether you even think that's, that's what you're thinking about, that's how people are viewing you because you have the title and the power, the role that says that's part of what you do. 
And so, and this is that part where people are unaware, you know, people want to go, yeah, no, we don't have group thing. We don't have group thing. And yet it enters in so subtly at times Mm -hmm. that we're just not aware. So go back to, you know, our three levels of processing, which came from Hartman's work. We have the people dimension, we have the practical dimension, we have the systems dimension. If you have a leader that is very pragmatic, then he's going to sway a group to that thing. Like they'll come up with a hundred creative ideas, but nobody will step in and start putting the structure in place to make it happen. Or we got all these wonderful ideas and they don't think about how does this affect our people or our process or our service to people and what are their thoughts about it? Because we can get stuck in the dimension that a leader is in. Mm -hmm. The other side of it too, is when you have a team. So I had fun of working with a leadership team of a group, national group, and they were in the process of acquiring companies. They'd grown by 64%. And the HR director said, I'm ready to pull my hair out. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we can't deliver anything on time? Like we have these meetings and we are always like three months late of producing and everything. So I took the assessment profiles of this group. (laughs) When I got them back, I called the HR director and I said, well, I don't know if I'll be able to get your hair back, but I'll be able to explain why you have a problem. (laughs) He goes, oh God, please help me. And they had that innate ability to brainstorm. They were very, very creative, but there was nobody in the group that said, okay, here's the idea. Now, what are the steps to make those ideas happen? And so working with him, understanding that there's this bias, we can now put systems into place of processing that to help them come up and always reach the outcome Mm -hmm. so that they don't just go, oh, here, this was great. Kind of like you said, oh, this is a great idea, but nobody goes, oh, you're doing this, you're doing that, or here's Mm -hmm. the steps that we're going to take. So we sometimes have to think what, where do we process, who processes, how, and then what can we put in place? So I've done a lot of work with executive teams, again, where we look at this assessment to find out what the bias is and go, okay, here's the strengths of the different individuals on the group. And for me, I have to take into account that power figure. Yes. And also who's the dominant presenter. So if somebody's really extroverted, their ideas are heard, but they may not be the best, right? Right, right. Got a sense of power, they're going to have the influence whether they have the title or not, and it can sway the group. Mm-hmm. So I go in to try to make people aware of who has really good processing from what dimension and how does that influence our decision-making so that you mm-hmm. can put the process into place to make sure everybody with their strength is giving that input now so that everybody can see what's really important, but then to also lean back to the strengths of people to make sure that the, you know, we're thinking about all three dimensions as we're going in to make that big decision. And it's, so, so I have a couple of questions. I want to make sure we're, we're making some clear connections here. So there's opinion, right. And, and opinion is what again? Opinion is just me going, this is what I think. It's not based on a stat. It's not based on a figure. It may be based on my personal experience or something. I'm going to throw my opinion out there, right? Kind of like taste as well. Like, well, you know, I've been to that restaurant three times and I just, I think it's lousy. Got it. My personal perspective of the thing. And then there's bias. So bias is our consistent look into a particular direction. So like a judge who's really hard or a judge that's really soft or a judge that tends to be harder on one nationality than another. Like we Mm -hmm. can statistically look and go, their judgments have been swayed in that. 
And noise, on the other hand, there we go. Noise is the other part. Noise is something that enters in because we're human. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the studies looked at judges before and after lunch and making decisions. Judges before lunch are harder. Judges after lunch are lenient. Why? Because they've had lunch. They're satisfied. Mm-hmm. If you look at decisions made in towns where they have like a big football team or a mm-hmm. big basketball team, or you can go to a university that has a when decisions are made after a big win, mm-hmm. they go one way. When decisions are made after a loss, they mm-hmm. go another way. So even think about. And I would imagine if it's a win, you're probably less risk averse. Whereas if a loss, you're more Absolutely. focused on risk and as the issue, because you don't want to have that experience again. Right. And so that's like outside noise. That is something that has impacted us that can divert our attention in ways that aren't just our common bias. So when you look at a company or a team, you will have bias and noise. And so what you try to figure out is what are the noise factors that affect things? Mm -hmm. And what are the potential bias that different people have? So one of the things, for example, in the judicial system they're doing is randomizing who gets to go to what judge. Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't, you know, not everybody who gets the lenient judge knows they're going to get off. To make it fair, you might get any one of them. Yeah. Because we can't remove it completely. Which is interesting about the system because in that analogy, what's right or wrong, what the law says or not is, you know, kind of second or third fiddle in the decision making, right? Right. Mm. Because, you know, ultimately the decision about how long somebody's going to get put in jail or how big a fine is going to be can be affected by noise. It can be affected by bias. Mm. You know, after hearing all of this, if I was curious and I wanted to know, because you said it's almost invisible. I don't know that I don't know which way I am. Am I going to be more people-oriented, more pragmatic, more focused on what's the the best course of action or the person who is more systemic in their thinking? And then there's this opinion of bias and noise and this factor. If I'm a leader and I want to understand, you know, anything from succession planning to how our hiring is showing up to how do I make risk judgments around risk on a new process, a new product, a new whatever in my organization. And I want to get better at that. How do I get better at this? There's a couple different things in terms of what can be done. So on a personal level, I recommend that leaders understand what their own bias is. Because when you look at really good leaders, they know what their strengths are and they know what their limits are. So they have probably had an outside coach. The outside assessment is one that says, hey, let's let's look at things. They probably keep stats on their own decision-making. So you look at a football team and you look at a quarterback and what goes on. They have the stats running. They can tell you that the quarterback on the third play is going to run this type of play 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. So there's a way to put decision-making down into stats, just like looking at judges' decisions, for them to understand what type of decision they tend to make. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, they, if they've been in it a while, you should be able to see some of those types of things come up. So they need to look at that part. So understand their own personal bias, like assessments, look at their decision making, what's been happening there. And then the other part is to look at their processes of decision making that they are actually using. A lot of people in the haste of things fly by the seat of their pants. They make the quick decision. What are they putting into place? to ensure 
that they're vetting the best ideas, that they're going through something to expose what's there, and that they're committing. So you look at all the work in Agile today, where they're committing to take action and who's going to be in charge of it and who's doing what, and that there's a follow-through to go, how did that work? What worked? What didn't work? And so there's ways to put different processes in place to ensure that it isn't just this one judgment and then we're going to run with it and have issues. You know, even in Renee Brown's training, she talks about the five C's of strategic thinking, which I believe we've talked about in a prior one. Mm -hmm. And if you have someone that's biased and say, no, we're just going to run with this and they don't address those or those haven't had the ability to be addressed or discussed you've got a bias because someone's just running down and going, yeah, I know what it is and here we're going. And now and everybody walks out of those meetings and, oh, I already know. And you wind up with four different ways of stuff getting done and then emotions clash later on. Well, when they come uh, back, why? Yes. Because we didn't discuss it. And I ran with what I was thinking and what I know was important, but we weren't all on the same page. Exactly. You're tainted by the lens that we looked at it from. Yeah. And so it becomes a necessity to put really good facilitation practices in and processes so that you do it. You know, at ASU, one of the things they developed was this thing called the SPARK method. And they took some stuff from Six Sigma. They took some stuff from different facilitation practices. And if there's a problem in any group on campus, within two hours, they can go through a brainstorming process, a criteria making process and pull out something that can be worked on in the next week to improve whatever that problem was. Yeah, And it gets past the human error of, well, I don't tend to speak up. I don't like to put my idea out there. A person who's probably brilliant, but afraid. Mm -hmm. And it gets past that bias of the person who speaks the loudest and first to put their idea out there and everybody follows it, you know? So for a leader to do that, they need to start looking at that. Okay. How do I go about what is it that I'm doing when I make those decisions? And then to start thinking back to what tends by making yourself more aware, again, like when we look at the staffing process, where do I tend to be biased? Mm-hmm. You know, have I just been looking at people that have come from the same place that I've been? Or have I somehow in my mind made a connection to the person based on something that they said and I'm not following a more strict policy? And again, that's one too, where if you bring assessments into it, because I've been working with a lot of executives and they're just like, Pam, you can tell me in a snapshot what's going to happen in six months. And I tend to miss it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm not looking at the person. I'm not looking at their resume. I am literally looking to see if they're a fit, if you will, for what that job requires. Do they have the processing ability? Do they have the natural behavioral tendencies to stick with that? Do they have the right motivation for it? And then also looking at their fit with the team, like being executives, like, oh man, no, this person's not going to fit your team. Now here's the potential plus that they're going to bring in, but they're also going to be an irritant. So what are you willing to put up with? Right. And when I come in with those and evaluations, I can target specific types of interview questions to address from that person's past, how they're going to deal with anything and what that might look like when they enter the job. So it's very behavior specific, very centered. And so when they go to make the decision, they're not making it on, oh, well, I just like this guy or, well, you know, I just had a bad feeling. Here's the facts. Now you have data. Now you have, you've you've gotten rid of the noise and you've at least identified the bias and opinions that a person might have about that individual there. And that just changes the whole level of the conversation. Wow. 
Okay, so there's a couple of things as listeners you might want to think about in the notes, show notes. If you're interested in figuring out where is your bias and what noise is affecting you and your environment, there's going to be a free link to one of the assessments that you can take, and it'll give you some ideas on where you're at. The other is, is that go to my website and there's on there Mighty Networks, there will be a decision, meeting decision, just a little document there that you'll be able to click on and get for free. Both of these are for free. So, you know, free, we love, we want to try, we want to see if it works. And the third thing I suggest is, is if you are a leader, start taking your own stats. Where have you been right? Where have you been wrong? Look for your own patterns. And we're going to add to that, Denise. Okay. One is that if a person's going to make, especially if it's a big decision, that they go out and get independent judgments from several people. Not that those in, like independent, they don't get to hear what anybody else has said. I'm doing this independent and then I'm going to get a broader perspective. So that's one thing that they can do. The other thing is to not do anything prematurely just off of a hunch. So I have this hunch and be careful though, because if I have this hunch and I'm talking to somebody and I put that hunch into whatever I'm describing, then people are going to pick up on it and go, oh yeah, well, no, no, no. Just, I got to give straight facts. I need to be really clear about what that is so that I'm reducing other noise. The other thing to be aware of is things that might be affecting you as an individual. Did I get enough sleep? Am I having issues with the relationship with somebody? Is that emotional tang causing an issue and, and a taint on my perspective? Is there something happening in the organization that is tainting the way that people as a general rule are trying to do stuff? So if you've had a big layoff, you're going to have conservative, right? Yes. If you've just had a great big success, people are like, oh, yeah, we're going to be good at everything. Risk goes down or risk goes up. Right. And so being aware of those types of things will also help. But I think one of the great frameworks is to start just with that assessment alone, just to go, God, where am I at? Mm -hmm. What new things can I discover about me? Mm -hmm. And also to look at the process that you're going to leave on there. Yeah, got it. So with that, you know what I'm going to say. If you like it, pass it along. If you don't like it, pass it along, because I guarantee this will be a good conversation on how you can see in your organization, how does opinion, bias, and noise determine or at least predict the kind of success that you're looking for? And is it working for you or is it working against you? You know, you think about voting. Is it a drag on your organization? Is it a drag on you? So with that, we'll talk to you in another week. Hope that you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any of the podcasts or ideas that come out of this organization. And if you've got a question, please go to the website, send the questions in or catch up with me on LinkedIn. You can catch Pam on LinkedIn or you can go to the show notes and you will see her link there. Until next week, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.